Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Cowgirl Confessions podcast. You're listening to Season 1, Episode 2, with my very first guest and go-getter friend, Jenna Smeek. Jenna grew up as a ranch kid in South Dakota, and while most may know her today as a professional barrel racer, she has such a unique story to share with us on embracing her journey to becoming a cowgirl entrepreneur. When we recorded this, Jenna was actually in Dubai quarantining on her way to Afghanistan, and I was in Oklahoma City. So you might notice a few times throughout the episode that have a little lag time or the sound cuts in and out. Just know that's on our end, not yours. Jenna has been instrumental in encouraging me to quit sitting on the fence and helping me bring this podcast to life. And for that, I am forever grateful. With that said, I can't think of a better person to kick off this new podcast venture with. Hey, y'all, and welcome. You're listening to the Cowgirl Confessions podcast. I'm your host, Dakota Dawn Johnson, small town cowgirl with Southern roots, blazing a trail as a Midwest ranch wife, mama, and businesswoman. The mission of Cowgirl Confessions is to share the wonderfully wild and Western life stories of cowgirls from all walks of life. We'll talk about the highs, the lows, and everything in between when it comes to navigating careers, cowboys, kids, and cattle. Legendary cowgirl Dell Evans said it best. Cowgirl is a pioneer spirit, a special brand of American courage. The cowgirl faces life head on, lives by her own lights, and makes no excuses. Cowgirls take stands, they speak up, they defend the things they hold dear. A cowgirl might be a rancher, a barrel racer, a bull rider, or an actress, but she's just as likely to be a checker at the local Winn-Dixie, a full-time mother, a banker, an attorney, or an astronaut. If you're into wet saddle blankets, talks with God, buckets full of laughter, and the life lessons learned in the process, kick off your boots and settle in. I pray these stories encourage, empower, and give you just the leg up you need. Here's to embracing the cowgirl state of mind, no matter how wild and western life may get along the way. Let's get to it. Jenna, great to have you. Woohoo, Dakota, I'm so pumped for you. This is amazing. I love the concept. I love the idea. I love everything that you want to do with this podcast. And what an honor to be the first guest. And <laughs> as a podcast producer myself, I realize what a feat it is just to even be there. So I completely commend you on all the steps that you're doing to get here and completely applaud you for wanting to share that with everyone. I follow you on social media and get a peek behind the scenes at what you do all day. You have a job, you have a kid, and you're grinding for the future. So it is an honor to be in your circle and an honor to be here today. Oh, that, that means so much to me, Jenna, seriously. Um, so thank you for that. And um, we'll talk a little bit more, but just a quick shout out. Uh, Jenna has the Horse Power podcast. So um, for those of you who haven't tuned into that yet, make sure to go check that out. Follow her on social media, Instagram, um, to learn more about the Horse Power podcast. Um, so Jenna, I just to clue everybody in on kind of how we met, um, you know, I first met your, your sister in 2004. Gosh, that, I you mean, said so long ago. So, that makes me feel old, but. <laughs> yeah, cause it's, it's one of those stories that I feel like so many people can relate to. Cause it's like, oh, you know, back at the high school finals and, mm -hmm. and that's where I met your sister. We were both state, um, title holders and competing in other events, but we were actually there representing our, our state as, um, Miss Rodeo. Um, high School Rodeo South Dakota, Trisha was, and then I was there as Miss um, High School Rodeo Alabama, and then our paths didn't really cross until um, a few years later when we were actually flag girls at the NFR, and and I reconnected with, with you and uh, Trisha both there, and, um, and the rest is history. Um, you know, we've <laughs> stayed in contact ever since, so um, that would have been in 2009 that we that we met there at Vegas. So um, I'd love for you to just tell tell us a little bit more about yourself. Sure. So, like you said, um, I was the rodeo queen involved in high school rodeo, and then got to carry flags at the finals. So 
rodeo has always been a part of my life, but back it up even further to how I was born and raised. I grew up in Western South Dakota. My great, great granddad homesteaded a ranch in 1909. And I love saying that because it's just so rare in today's age to have that much history in one industry. So my parents raised me on the back of a horse. We had horses out of necessity, checking cattle, um, you know, getting things done on the ranch. But naturally, as little girls do, I fell in love with them more than just a tool to get work done. But I spent every waking moment on the back of my horse, Bugs, my very first horse, I'll never forget him. And um, my sister and I, we just, we rode all day long. So naturally, we wanted to compete at as many things as possible. So we did everything in rodeo, barrel racing, pole bending, goat tying, roping, the queen contest, gave them a real shot at the all around, just <laughs> sheer probability. We had the most events and we used one horse, which I think is cool, but that's just how we grew up. Um, you know, you're going to make the best of this horse. He's not bred any particular way. He's a ranch horse. Do your best. And so that was a great foundation moving throughout high school and college. I loved horses, but um, when I got out of high school, I made the decision to join the military. So that took me away from my roots a little bit in that I was getting deployed. I was traveling all over. I ended up being stationed in Florida. And that's when I, when I decided, you know, I'm, I'm about that age where I need to either run or this dream that I've had since I was a little girl is going to slip through my fingers. And I wasn't thrilled about running in Florida, but I did it, happened to win. And that totally made me fall back in love with the sport. So my journey through that year kind of led me to the path of rodeo is really who you are. This industry is how you grew up and no matter how far away you get from it, I just always found myself coming back to it. So shortly after the Miss Rodeo Florida days, I decided to get a barrel horse. And that's probably what most people know me as now is just kind of a barrel racer, but my history is pretty diverse. I loved all of the events and we would even growing up, we'd even do horse jumping, all the 4-H possible events like halter class. We didn't know what we were doing, but we were just excited to try. <laughs> and that kind of leads into the theme that I have with my podcast today is just studying different disciplines and learning from others, which it's so fun to see you on that mission too, and learning from others and bringing us all together so that we can have these discussions, sit at the same table and learn from each other's past so that we don't have to go through you know, figuring it out the hard way, we can just share those secrets. And I, I love that. And I love, um, I just love the, having the unique ability through podcasts for people to share their stories, just like, mm -hmm. you know, we're, we're doing right now. And um, so I want to back up a minute, because when you were touching on just all the different disciplines that you guys tried out and stuff, um, you know, you and your sister Trisha were also in college part of an equestrian team. Can you tell us a little more about that? Sure. So yeah, that was my first ever formal riding experience and my first time ever listening to a coach, which blew my mind because not that I thought I knew it all, but back in the day, it wasn't commonplace to have a coach or have a mentor. And to be honest, I, I kind of made fun of kids who had riding lessons. I'm like, you don't need somebody to tell you, you just need to go out and do it more. Just go ride just like me. But that's how I grew up. And at that stage, you don't even know what you don't know yet. So the more that I learned, gosh, the more I figured out there was to learn. So the college equestrian team was a huge eye-opener for me just about the industry because in Western South Dakota, it's pretty easy just to, you know, kind of blinders on. You don't really see the rest of the world. So that was my first taste of, you know, people know different things. They have different backgrounds, all walks of life. Here we are together on a team. Let's learn from each other. So that was a really great experience and something I had no clue about. So if you're not familiar with what an equestrian team is at college, basically what we do is have a reigning division. That's like our top tier athletes. And then we have horsemanship right under them, which is basic maneuvers, not the sliding stops, but still completing a pattern. And you'll go to other schools and ride their horses. So it is kind of a luck of the draw similar to like a rodeo queen where you show up at a rodeo, you have to get on a horse you've never seen never ridden before, not your tack, not your saddle, so many uncertainties just stepping into that role. Um, but the equestrian team really shaped me as a rider and looking at a horse, being able to evaluate 
what it's going to be like within seconds of switch, swinging a leg over. So it was a really cool experience and, and all those things just kind of helped shape me into the rider I am today. I'm just so proud of that, but very small part of my life, but I just really enjoyed that I got to do it. Yeah. I mean, don't those college years, I was reflecting back on that just here recently since, um, you know, so so much is different in the world right now with graduations and things like that. And um, I've been, I've really enjoyed reconnecting with, um, you know, some of the people I college rodeoed with. So a little bit different than what you guys did on the equestrian team. I um, college rodeoed all four years and that's not through NCAA. It's through an association called NARA. It's the National Intercollegiate Rodeo Association. So um, you can actually you, you win money just like you do at in a regular, you know, rodeo outside of college, but you also are putting your money up. Um, you know, you're paying your fees, you're providing your own horse or, or mounting out on, you know, a team member's horse. And so um, definitely some differences, but I think there's, there's so many similarities in, in the good and the positive, you know, the skill set that you learn from being a part of a team sport in college and honestly it makes you keep your academics strong because otherwise you're not going to be eligible um so it you know on so many different levels for me it was a really positive experience and then just the relationships that i made during that time the people that i met that honestly they they're the people now i can pick up the phone and, and i'm sure you feel the same you you may go five years you you may go 10 years and not see some of these people and then you run into them at a rodeo or um, we joke now we may see each other at our, our kids junior rodeos one day. Um, but there's just a bond there that you get through that, those growing um, years of college and, and just experiencing, um, you know, learning how to be a better horseman and competing and just a really precious time. Yeah, and I'll just piggyback on top of that with the team aspect in that normally rodeo isn't Part of a team you're just out there with yourself you're your coach you're your jv your varsity you have no backup and any strategy you have to create within yourself so i loved that in college we could kind of band together even though we are competing against each other it was fun to you know want each other to win and i think that set me up for later on you know in life where i was just a rodeo athlete on my own but still rooting for you know your friends because at the end of the day there's room for everybody at the top and you know just like that saying goes, one flower just blooms. It doesn't worry about what the flower next to it is doing in particular. So um, college sports in any capacity, I, I think is so important for, for young women and everyone, you know, just to set you up for success later on. I com completely agree with that. Um, so Jenna, the I feel like just this past decade since we've known each other, literally a, over a decade now, um, there's been so much growth and it has been so much fun to, to be right there in the midst of it with you, but also kind of, um, have that shotgun rider view of, um, <laughs> watching you, you know, just focus on so many different elements and honestly, just, just excel, um, cause you just are persistent and you're not going to quit. And so whether it's your career or, you know, competing and winning Miss Rodeo Florida to, um, I mean, there's so many things that you've you've put your energy into, and I would just um, really enjoy if you could just give us if there is is there an overlying kind of theme that you a thought process that you attack you know goals with that just keeps you motivated because you you do have a lot of irons in the fire, and, and I'd love for you to share some um, about kind of all those different things you have going on, but um, overall, just how you how you do it all. Sure. So I think it's important to tell your listeners kind of where the turning point in my life was um, initially. And that, and for most people, they probably don't realize this without talking to me, but that was in my year as Miss Rodeo Florida, I had every intention of winning Miss Rodeo America. And that might seem silly, but for me, it was everything at the time. This was a dream that I had since I was a little girl. So I set up my whole life for that to happen. I on purpose didn't get a job past the Miss Rodeo America pageant because, you know, being Miss Rodeo America is a job. So I didn't want to jinx myself or have any reservations about the fact that I was there to win. So what I did was I put all of my 
worth in achieving this particular goal. And if you've followed my story, you know that I, I ended up not winning. And for a young girl who's never faced that type of rejection before, um, that was something that was so difficult to go through. And not that I hadn't achieved a goal before, but this particular goal was based off of four judges' opinions. And this particular goal you could never try again for. And there was no rebuttal process. It's over. There's nothing that you can do. So that was my first real, in my life, feeling of lack, feeling that I wasn't enough. And I was devastated. So I didn't know what to do. And I had no job. Um, so in that, I really started to look at my life and figure out what, what do I love? When was the last time that I felt truly happy? And I, I remember looking at my boots sitting by the door. As funny as that sounds, I looked at my boots sitting by the door and I'm like, wow, they're so muddy. Like they're so torn up. What memories I had made like in those boots, you know, that's where I felt the most joy in my freaking cowgirl boots out on the road, doing like part of this industry, swinging a leg over a horse. I didn't know, like going to rodeos. That's where I felt the most passion and joy. And you don't need a crown to do that. And I, it took me a while to realize it, but at the end of the day, I decided I want to be in this industry. And what better way than to be a barrel racer because it's based on the clock. There's nobody's opinion, no judgment. It's a race. You either do or you do not. So <laughs> I found comfort in that because I had been so, I felt like, like I had been robbed and an unjust, you know, decision. And that's not the point. I needed to, I needed to learn that lesson. Had I won, my life would be so much different than it is today. So I'm grateful for that loss because of the person that it, that it made me into. And with that pain and that suffrage that I felt in the moment, I just put that into becoming a pro barrel racer, the best of the best. I put all that drive and focus and anger at the time into figuring out how to succeed at the sport that I love in a different way. And so when I made this revelation, I didn't have a truck, I didn't have a trailer, and I didn't have a horse. So that's an off, awfully lofty goal for somebody who, you know, jobless and on my sister's couch, to be honest. <laughs> but um, what, what worked for me in that journey, in that pursuit, and I think it applies to everybody, is that you don't have to have it all figured out. You just have to really have a burning desire and a burning why um, and you'll figure out the how along the way and then to go with that too um, progress for me is happiness so even though i didn't have the things that i needed to achieve my ultimate goal if i could just get a little bit closer every single day i felt so happy that i had direction so that's why i and i harp on goals and planning so that you can get on that path once you see it you feel better. If you have a plan and a purpose, you feel better, even if you're pursuing it. And it might take you years, but if you've got a plan, you can inch that way. Um, for me, that's, that's where I find the happiness and the joy. And that goes across the board. So not only in training a horse or, you know, the barrel racing industry, but anything you want to do in life, it's just incremental progress, which is why I started my businesses and why I do the podcast. And in the beginning, you've got to realize that that's when it's the hardest. That's when you're going to be the worst. There's the most uncertainty, the most questions. Um, but each day, you know, you get a little bit closer and then you get on a roll. So you take that momentum and I might be achieving over here, you know, in this, in this column, whether it's finances or real estate or the podcast, and I take that steam and I apply it across the board. So it is difficult to kind of jump back and forth between all the different irons. But I think that that's kind of important for my personality type, just in that if I fail in one area, it's okay. Look at all the other stuff I've got going on. We'll just focus over here for a little bit. <laughs> Isn't, that's so, I mean, it really is. It, it's such a beautiful place to be because I, I believe it, it. I know it was your sister. Um, I've, for years, I've, I've watched both of you um, not be afraid to step out and take a different avenue from get the eight to five job. And I've always really admired you. And, and to be honest, I, I was just a, sl I was a slow learner, you know, because I, I kind of, um, I had some limiting beliefs and, and I've had to work through those, um, you know, in my own time. But, but seeing you guys put into action, just like you said, Hey, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to do this and I'm going to build it. And then once you got 
you know, X, Y, Z, whether it was seasoning your barrel horse or getting a business up and running or a website, once you got one thing done, then you were, you were taking that same process and applying it to another avenue of your life to whether it was creating happiness or happiness and passive income, whatever the mix might be. And I've watched y'all do that for years. And it's just, honestly, I, I, I kind of nerd out on that stuff now, um, on processes and, and what. Love it. It's yeah, addicting. It, it is. And so um, I, do you ever remember a time, I know that you said that was a, a moment of, um, for you that, you, you made a shift and you, and you made a decision that you were going to pursue and put all that emotion into becoming a professional barrel racer. But do you ever remember not having a mindset that you were business oriented, like, or, or have you just always had that? I would say that, you know, growing up, my parents always kind of instilled, you can do or be anything you want to be. And I feel like a lot of us hear that but it's different when you arrive there mentally. And so while it took a situation like losing Miss Rodeo America to kind of bring that feeling out, I feel like that was instilled in me from an early age. So sometimes, you know, we want the things that we want, but I think that God has a different plan for us. And sometimes not getting exactly what we want is the biggest blessing that we could ever have. And we try to tailor our lives and plan it all out exactly as we see it. But at the end of the day, we don't even know the opportunities and the experiences and the joy that's around the corner. If we kind of just give up that control and we just, you know, do our best, try to live our lives in a positive way, you know, utilizing all of our strengths and just really fully living that opportunities and experiences that we never planned will unfold before us. So, and it is, it is interesting. Usually, you know, when I, when I take a loss like that, my first reaction was to just be so sad and, and really had a hard time the first, you know, that first devastating moment in my life. And now when things don't work out for me, I feel like my rebound rate is much faster because I know it's going to be okay. There's something better coming and you've got to almost train your mind to see the world that way. And for me, losing Miss Rodeo Florida was my first time I really woke up to that way of life or that way of thinking. And as a young girl, it's, it's so hard to figure out where you fit in in the world and who to listen to. And I really wasn't oriented towards books or learning or reading. I just didn't do any of that stuff. So I think it's cool now that I'm on the track that I am now and to bump into like-minded people just really gets me going. Like that's where the joy and passion is for me. And I can't believe I, I used to live my life you know, any other way <laughs> now that I'm here. And I love it when people just, they wake up in their own way. But the thing is, you can't tell them. They've got to arrive there on their own. So you can push them towards as many books and positive experiences and seminars and whatever. But, you know, people have to want to do it for themselves. And for me, that took a devastating loss, but I'm so grateful for it. Yeah, it's, you know, finding um, the message in the mess. Um, that's yeah. something that I feel like uh, Leanne Hart, I've heard her say that so many times on her podcast and just enjoy, um, really enjoy her message there. But, um, you know, just finding the message in the mess. And I, I think that's life a lot of times. And um, you, you get to decide if you're going to be a victim or a victor. And mm -hmm. uh, without a doubt, you're definitely a victor. And it talking, you know, kind of going back to when, you, you didn't have a truck, you didn't have a trailer, you didn't have a horse, but, but you were manifesting, you were going to be a professional barrel racer. Um, right around that time, you and I were able to actually kind of reconnect geographically. I mean, we had kept in contact, but um, your sister and I, around that time frame, we had been roommates for a couple of years living in Oklahoma, and then you were back in that area, and I, I remember when you, when you bought Taz and, and I'll let you share more about him, but I, I just want to kind of share my version of, um, you know, we got to be hauling partners there for a little while and, and go into some rodeos together when you were literally like Taz hadn't been to a rodeo yet. Yeah. And, and you were, you were in the seasoning process. Yeah. It was just so, and, and as a hauling partner watching you take this horse that was not seasoned that just handled 
he just handled himself like he'd been doing it his whole life, you know, like, <laughs> and, and so that's what it looked like for me, but I, I just love to hear more about the whole process of buying Taz and then what it was like seasoning him and, and if you'd seasoned a, a barrel horse before. No, I totally had not. I, my whole life I'd ridden finished horses and by finished I mean their ranch horses super broke and we took them around the barrels long enough that they knew the pattern. So I had no idea what I was doing and buying Taz was my first real horse purchase on my own. So I was nervous about spending my money and then not having, you know, what I wanted and then the fear crept in that I can't sell him. And now basically any money that I had saved wasted. So of course I had those fears throughout the whole entire process. But what my goal was, was to find a horse that was fast and make him because I just flat out couldn't afford to buy something finished. So I looked for horses off the track because my personal style, I like things, the horses that are bigger. And I just wanted some type of proof that he was fast because, you know, I just didn't know what I was doing. So I looked around, I tried so many horses. I definitely did the tire kicker thing, which I honestly encourage people to do because the more horses you try, the more you learn what you don't want. And then when you find what you do want, there's just a gut feeling and you just got to pull the trigger. There is risk involved. But what I did, which I'm so proud of myself for doing when I bought him, I made a deal with the barn that was selling him that I could come back for lessons because I was just scared to step out on my own. So I went back probably once a month, twice a month, was able to send videos to them and get a little bit of coaching along the way. And for, for me, that was everything. And I was very fortunate in that I was dating a rope horse trainer and a colt starter and that was huge because I truly didn't know what I was buying I bought a machine a freaking dragon he was I mean he's big beautiful calm disposition but you get him you know under the saddle under a bridle he's ready to roll I mean his whole life he had just run with his hair on fire straight line he was racehorse so there was a lot of undoing to do before we ever got to the pattern and just by the luck of it, you know, the guy that I was dating had such a great foundation that he encouraged me to just make him a good horse before you worry about the pattern. Put the stops on him, control his shoulders, control his rib cage, control his hind end. I think a lot of times barrel racers get in a hurry. They just want to go to the pattern and go fast and that's fun, but you get so many problems that you can't fix if you don't have that silly foundation that's just basic horsemanship. So we spent a lot of time making him a good horse. And then when we went to the, to the pattern, he immediately placed in the, in the 2D at the first jackpot I ever entered um, because wow. I could control every part of him. And then from there, we quickly moved into the 1D because this sucker was fast, but he respected me. And we had those, that foundation. I just, I can't harp on it enough that like, if you don't have a horse that you can move their rib cage, standing still in the middle of a, an empty arena, good luck doing it full speed under the lights and the announcer, you know? I mean, at the end of the day, it's just, it's, it's such a simple thing and we complicate it so, so much, but that was, I think, why we had such success in the early stages and it was all new to me. It, it was like I had to relearn how to ride, relearn how to rodeo. It had been seven years almost since I rode a barrel horse, so going fast, you know, that was a lot for me. And as far as the seasoning process went, we might have looked like we had it together at times. But, you know, I, I was so nervous in the beginning that I couldn't be mentally present in the run. So it took about, you know, 50, 50 runs or so under the lights before I could think. And I was able to move and help my horse and be in front of him. So just like anything, it's repetition and gradual progress, having mentors that can tell you the road ahead so you can anticipate the, the problems that are coming and then also not fall off the rails, you know, when you have a bad run. We had so many bad runs, but every now and then we'd have an amazing turn or an amazing like something and that would give me hope. So you just build on those small little successes and all of a sudden we we're putting together patterns that were like three great turns. Holy smokes. We, just, you know, we're in the 1D, we're winning the rodeo. I mean, against some names. And that's yeah. why I want to live in the South because 
South Oklahoma, North Texas, boy, every jackpot's like the freaking NFR. I mean, it's tough down there. If you if you can consistently place and and win in the 1D in that area, you're good to go rodeo anywhere. I mean, it's not uncommon to see three or four NFR qualifiers and world champions just at your local everyday uh, Monday, Tuesday jackpot. So it's a good reality check. But yeah. it's just such a fun journey. And like, even though those were those were successes that I've shared in the past, like we're still fully in the middle of it. Like we've got things I want to work on, goals, like so much left to do. But part of it is just embracing whatever stage you're at. And super important to like enjoy that stage because before you know it, it's gone. And like I always tell people to document your story because it's going to be fun to look like when I was hitting, look how far we've come. Like if I hadn't hadn't documented that, you know, people would, it's just like you come out of nowhere, but no, it's been a long, long road and we're definitely not there yet, but. It, it was, I remember just, you know, hearing you tell this and just like, you can hear it in your voice, your, your love for the sport and your love for your, you know, for Taz, your equine athlete and counterpart. Um, and I, I remember when you, you filled your permit and just like the celebratory party um, we were having back in Winniewood, America, because you had, you know, went out and like, I mean, yeah, and, and, and you had filled your permit and, and not that we, we totally believed you could do it, but it, it's like you said, there was very much, um, I'm not going to call it a fairy tale story because you had put the time and the sweat equity into it, but there are people who buy their, you know, buy their permits. And, and don't ever fill them. I mean, quite, mm -hmm. quite frankly, you know, it's not, it's not just a given, you're going to fill your permit. Um, and, and, and you did it quickly. Um, so I just that whole process and watching you do that. And um, I just, what, what was it like in that moment when you realized you, you filled your permit? Some of the most fun days in my whole life, like, I was not ready to go on the road when I got the call. I had an outstanding mentor at the time who wanted to season a young horse. And she said, you've got a young horse that needs seasoning too. Like get in the truck. Like if you can afford it, come on. So I quite literally um, quit the job that I had at the time, which was just full-time at the military base. I just went to a traditional guardsman one weekend a month and took this chance because I knew phone calls like that don't come very often. And the most important thing that I did was get a coach that could, that could put me in the right rodeos, like coach me through all the emotions and feelings. Cause at your first, first pro rodeo, I just soon blacked out. I don't remember anything in the run. I was so excited. I was like crying when I came out, I realized the barrels were standing and then I heard my time and I literally almost fell off. I was, bawling crying not even because I thought we had won but like I was hanging with them I knew what had placed before and like where I should kind of be and we were right in there and we ended up pulling a check at my first freaking rodeo I mean my adrenaline was through the roof and if I didn't have somebody to bring it back down when I needed and also pick me up when I was getting scared and down like you can you can really do damage early on in a career if you don't have that structure and that's another thing I'll say is it was a combination of the right rodeos at the right time so this was like August September time frame when most of the NFR qualifiers had made the finals so not everybody was out on their big number one horses so we weren't running against you know, the top 15, we were running against some tough girls, but pick the rodeos where you have a chance to succeed. You don't have to go out and run, you know, against the top 50 for your first rodeo. It's just, you know, if you had the same run at the right rodeo, you'd celebrate it. Or if it's at the wrong rodeo, you cry because you're second off. So choosing the rodeos that will build your confidence is so important. And if you can just get a little taste of it, gosh, I just, I would just go till I can't go no more to like keep that feeling. It's the greatest feeling in the world. And that's why people just drive all night. That's why we, you know, do everything to get to the next rodeo because it's so incredibly fun, but you've got to have a little bit of direction or you can really get down on yourself in those early stages. You're just such a fragile competitor at that point. And later on, like years later, I know that if you have a bad run, it can change literally overnight. Don't sweat it. Let it roll off. You've got to have a competitor's mindset. But in the beginning, when, when you don't quite know that yet, it's just so fragile. It, it sounds like, you know, like you said, just having, um, having a really great coach and, and 
surrounding yourself with um, really positive um, hauling partners can make all the difference in the world. And so um, I, I want to know one, where was that rodeo at your, your first rodeo pro rodeo you entered? And then also, um, do you have like a funny hauling partner story or just kind of rodeo hauling partner memory that really shows kind of the camaraderie of the sport? <laughs> yeah, there's so many rodeo memories. Um, but my first Pro Rodeo was Steamboat Springs, Colorado, 17-8 on a standard, super wet, deep ground. I remember it like it was yesterday, and I'll probably never forget that. But on the Rodeo Road, it's a great opportunity to make yourself look like a complete idiot. And I did that several, <laughs> several times. <laughs> you live and learn. The hard way. Um, let's see. So one example, I guess, would be we were trying to get to Cody, Wyoming from, I don't even really know where I was driving and my, my partner was in the back sleeping and we're going through the mountains and I'm just following the blue line, just excited, you know, to be pulling my weight, taking the, the graveyard shift. We're going to get there, just following my line. We take a turn off the main highway, don't think anything of it. And then the road starts to kind of get a little more narrow, a little more narrow and I'm looking at the GPS and you know, I don't, I don't really know where I am or what to do. It's dark. We're in the mountains. And all of a sudden, like, we are so deep into the mountains that I don't know how we're going to turn this rig around. And the only thing worse than having this on my mind is to wake up my hauling partner in the back and tell her what I had done. Oh, gosh. <laughs> so I'm like, figure it out. if I was out here by myself, I'm going to figure it out. So I see this sign that's like RVs this way. I'm like, perfect. We can get an RV in there. I can get this thing in there. We turn around. So I take a turn off the even smaller road and I wedge myself into like a camping zone for people with tents. They should have crossed out the RV and wrote tents. People who are backpacking with tents this way. There wasn't room for a car to turn around, let alone a four horse gooseneck with a dually. I was so screwed. So I just stopped and I was just thinking of what I should do. And my hauling partner comes flying out of the back, like, what are you doing? I've been trying to like flag you down, get your attention, no service. So she couldn't call. It was dark and I was just, you know, looking around, not in my mirrors, but at the road ahead. So she was flagging out the window, but I couldn't see. And I got us so far into Yellowstone National Forest that I thought we might just have to live there. This is our new home. Oh, <laughs> Oh, yeah, that's, um, that's what I had done. And it basically took a miracle. We just slept where we were at the at the time to get some daylight and some solutions the next day. So morning comes, there are hikers and fishers and we're like, ah, can you, can you like move your car and I don't know if you could like chop down this tree or just back over it, but we need to get out of here. So we ended up getting out. And instead of you know, not letting me drive anymore because I had made this huge mistake. My punishment was to go ahead and practice until you get it right. <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> Drove my little heart out and I will, I will never, you know, just trust the GPS. And this was before it was on your phone. This is like a truck GPS. It was like, seems like earlier than like the iPhone capabilities we have now where it shows you different routes and wasn't that simple, but uh, yeah, double check the old GPS or you'll find yourself deep in the heart of bear country. <laughs> I, I mean, I was just sitting here going, did, did you find, is it Smokey the Bear? Um, like when you're there in Yellowstone? I mean, I was worried the horses would get eaten in the trailer, but they made it. We made it. Lesson learned. And by the time we had gotten back out and onto the main road, we, we by we I mean I had just about run the truck out of diesel so I was like please don't run out of diesel because that is such an issue it's not like filling up a gas car you gotta it's a process and that would just make matters much much worse if I also did that because then we might miss the rodeo and then it's pretty serious <laughs> well, we made oh it. man that's funny tell everyone <laughs> yeah it, it definitely we all started somewhere you know, and I, it's just so humbling when you're, when you're in the thick of a situation like that. And then also once you're at a point that you can look back and laugh about it, because it, 
it, it takes a little bit depending on the severity and I and I feel like that one was right on up there that 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 was pretty severe it's tough it's the worst to learn those lessons the hard way and when you're new you just you do there's I mean there's actually a couple different occasions where I could mention that we drove to the wrong rodeo showed up and we're not on the list because we had fudged up the day that's two separate hauling partners two separate occasions I mean there's just things you gotta do <laughs> to ensure your success can't cut the old corners there or you'll be hauling ass across country eight hours because you just drove yourself the wrong way <laughs> oh my gosh uh it's man just so many different elements when you're out there on the road trying to rodeo trying to make a dollar and and mm. i really want to take um just kind of lead into how how you've been able to just financially starting from where you described no truck no trailer no horse to getting this opportunity to hey load up with me and go if you can afford to go and you you quit your job you were at so um i i love hearing those stories and and watching people persevere in them but i really love the nitty-gritty behind it and i think that's what so many people really want to know is how do you do that and how do you continue where you're at now to continue to rodeo when when you're also in the military just yeah so rodeo is an exceptionally financially difficult strenuous sport in that most people you know they have to win to survive and get to the next one and early on i can tell you it is not worth that stress and i have competed that way and i will never do it again um, and that's what encouraged me to focus into those businesses because your time is your most valuable resource you can always make more money you can you know everything else you can recover but time you don't get more of it and we all have the same 24 hours in a day so how can i maximize my time so that i can do what i love and not you know go broke or belly up or just live in a way that i don't want to live um and tony robbins was instrumental in encouraging me to do the things that i've done when i went to his seminar you know this was this was after you know rodeoing for I don't know what it was a couple of years. I mean, I didn't just quit my job and all of a sudden success and here we go. I mean, there was some still very high highs, but also low, lowest of the lows. And um, through that, I, I really resonated with the messaging that Tony Robbins preaches and gone to his seminars and just completely opened up my eyes. And while I was brave in those moments to get the experience of hitting the road, that was not the end all be all. And I obviously eventually had to start working again and kind of balance all of it. So when I started Naughty Halters, that was my first, very first company. And I did that just because people would ask me, where did I get my tack? Where did you get your shirt? Where did you get all this stuff? And I thought, you know what? I could just encourage them to buy it from me if I sold it. So figure out a way to sell it. And that's how it started. And then I started branching out into apparel because it's a better product. It's bought more often, it's cheaper up front, and people see me in it more. So every day, pretty much, I wear my own t-shirts and do my own branding. That's just natural advertising. So it fits really well with what I'm trying to do. It takes me no extra effort just to wear a shirt of my own versus someone else's. So the effort and expense up front, pretty minimal. I mean, we all have to buy shirts. We all have to wear clothes, <laughs> unfortunately. Yeah. Um, and tack is, you know, part of my image and my branding um, now. But the way that I built my brand encourages people to change tack with your outfit. Be very colorful so that I can, instead of just selling you one tack piece I could sell you five and that's what I like to do anyway and most of the things I sell are just stuff I would do or wear or use anyway so it fits super well but with that and I think as an early business owner I didn't understand that in owning a business you can't just spend all the profits from year one you're not going to be super uber successful you're not going to make six figures usually in year one of your business and if you are that's outstanding but reinvest invest that money back into the brand so that it can grow. But what I did instead early on was 
those businesses funded my rodeo addiction. So I was a delinquent business owner. Instead of growing them, I funded myself as the CEO lavishly. And not that they made a bunch, but that's literally what kept me on the road. So when I decided like my expenses pretty much are at or above what I'm making, how, what, it, what needs to happen, I need to make a shift now. It's time to let those businesses be their own thing. Get a big girl job, fund your rodeoing through your job and let those businesses thrive. And that was honestly one of the harder things that I had to do was basically to admit to myself that, hey, you're not, you're not necessarily gonna make it out here like you are, go get a job. And I would rather live like no one else right now. So work my ass off in Afghanistan, grind in my off time on my businesses so that later I can live like no one else. Um, because it scares me for some rodeo competitors that, you know, especially the COVID crisis is a highlight. When you're done or your, your horse breaks a leg or you break a leg for some reason, when that journey ends for you, what do you have? The rodeo skills are, you know, so unique, but they don't transfer to a lot of profitable jobs later on in life. So, and my dad has been really instrumental in, in harping that, you know, you can't just do one thing. Don't just be a great rodeo athlete. Have a couple other revenue streams in case this one, you know, in case you pull the plug. You never know what's going to happen. So that's, that's kind of why also I just love that, you know, we got the tack thing, we got the halters thing, I'm trying to do my own brand and be motivational speaker, you know, do the book, that's kind of a separate leg. And then real estate's always been a part of my life too. And, you know, that's just a little extra effort taking those classes and learning and trying to just expand all my revenue streams, thinking the revenue streams, because <laughs> rodeo is one of the most expensive sports on earth. To even come to the gate to play the game, you've got thirty to 50000 in a truck, same in a trailer, if not more, horses in six figures, and you don't need just one, you need about two. And then you put diesel in, entry fees, and then you're just, you're just barely there to play the game. That's bare minimum. You're, you know, half a million in at this point. Welcome. Now you can try. Now you can roll the dice and see if this is actually what you love and you want to go for it. So... <laughs> have some backup plans, have some options. And anybody that is getting started or, you know, curious what I would tell myself five years ago, I would say to invest in your future and think about the road ahead. So think about 401ks, think about possibly investing in real estate, take a percentage of your income and don't even look at it, just invest it. Because, you know, once you quit your job, 10% of nothing is so hard to like come up with, like you're not going to be investing when you go ahead and quit your job, do it now do it right now, like use your first time homeowner loan, like utilize the loan rates that are low right now, um, work on your credit, never ever give yourself bad credit, which I didn't realize in the beginning. And when I, you know, basically when I had spent all my money, I just ran my credit bills up, didn't quite understand that finances. Cause I had, you know, I had the military all the way through past college that would, you know, fund me or cradle me and always a steady paycheck. So when I got out on my, on my own, I realized like you can really damage your future if you don't, don't pay some bills or, you know, that stuff stays with you forever. So as a young woman, I wish that I would just, just tell myself to think about the road ahead financially and finances aren't everything, but they're a vehicle to let us do what we love. It's not about money. It's about living. And I want to be able to afford the life I want to live. Not that I need the nicest shoes or saddle or whatever, but I want experiences and I want to be able to get there um, and experience life to the fullest and not worry about, you know, well, should we go to this one or should we not just, just cause I'm um, irresponsibly spending. So very relatable when you, you made the comment, you, you know, you're, you're going to live like nobody else so that one day you can live like nobody else. And we, uh, my husband and I, right before we got married, we took uh, Dave Ramsey's Financial Peace University course through our, our church. And it, he, he says that, and, and, and he adds to the end of it when he says it, that so that one day you can live and give like nobody else. Mm -hmm. And it really, um, similar to some things that you said, you know, I, it, it took me getting to that point of, you know, breaking even and, and really in the hole in a lot of cases financially to go, okay, it's time to really think long term and, and having, you know, at that point in my life, it was, 
you know, meeting my husband and, and he already had um, some assets and things like that. And all I, over here, I'm like, I got good credit. That's about all I got, you know, beside the truck payment and some horses. But, you know, um, I, I still had student loans and things like that. But finding somebody that's ahead of you that can say, no, no, you really don't need this. You don't need to use a credit card for this. Um, let's, let's think about long-term and, and just, um, like you said, just re retraining that thought process and boy, wish we'd have known that, you know, five years ago, 10 years ago, but. Oh, I know. I know. <laughs> but sometimes, I mean, at least for me, it took being broke to fully understand the value of, of a salary and of making money. So yeah, finances are tricky, but you know, at the end of the day, just being able to do what we love and, and chase it, that's, that's really what I'm after. I just appreciate you being so transparent and, and, and sharing that part of your journey because it, I feel like, you know, money and politics and religion, people tell you, you don't talk about those things, but um, when, when it comes to, you know, I mean, some of that stuff, it, you can't learn if, if you don't, if you don't talk about it. And so I just thank you so much for, for sharing that part of your financial journey and, and what you've learned along the way, Jenna. And, um, you, you kind of slid it in there earlier, but I'd love for you to share a little more with us about just, you know, being going back and forth right now to Afghanistan and, and then you're, you're in the process of writing a book. Sure. Yeah. So I was in the military for nine years and then I got out to pursue my dreams as a rodeo cowgirl. Sounds uh, really awesome until the reality sets in. And then basically I realized I needed to get supplemental income in the form of a job. And I have a degree in political science and enjoy marketing. I emphasize marketing. So my original plan was to just go work for a marketing firm. And it is tough out there in the job market. So I had no experience. And I kind of did some reflecting like, well, my whole life I have been pretty much working in intelligence, why don't, it would make sense, like, why don't I try something in that career field? And after several marketing interviews and no's and no thank yous, um, this, when I had this realization, it just was too easy. It was almost like I was guided, you know, I was trying to fit into the marketing world and just rejection after rejection, so frustrated while also working a job, you know, to pay the bills. I was working at the racetrack, also bartending, just doing whatever I could to make ends meet, but trying to find a big girl job and just could not make it work in the marketing field. So when I looked to Intel, it happened in about a week. I was on a plane to Afghanistan. And um, yeah, that's a, it's such a weird little story, but um, most of the work for what I do is obviously in a war zone. So there are jobs available back here in the U.S., but this particular job is amazing because it's only 60 days. And then the 60 days that I'm off, I come back to the U.S., I don't have to do anything. So there is some sacrifice. Of course, I, I don't enjoy being away from Taz or my family or, or any of that stuff, but it's worth it, you know, to have that two months of freedom during the middle of the summer where I know I'm just going to hit the road, not look back. I want to win, but honestly, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter if I do or if I don't, I'm out there enjoying it. And to me, like enjoying the journey is so much better than, than getting to do it full time year round, but struggling and stressed and running for, you know, hopefully we'll be able to feed Taz. If we don't win, we might have to go home. Like I can never run under that stress again. So that's my current situation. And it's, it's really actually a pretty fun job. Can't say a lot about it other than I get to fly, which I think is really cool. And the guys that I work with, I'm the only girl in my career field. <laughs> um, but the guys I work with are awesome. And so it's, it's not too bad to go out there at all. Well, just thank you for, for what you do for our country and, and helping keep us safe. And um, you, even the way you deliver it, it's like, oh yeah, I, I do this in Intel and I, I'm going to Afghanistan and I'm and I'm just kind of like, oh yeah, it's no big deal, but it, it's a huge deal and it's a huge sacrifice you make. And um, I'm just so thankful, um, you know, for what you do. And then also just showing people that there there is a way to, to be a part of the military, to, to serve our country in a capacity where you still have a, a life outside of that because I feel like a lot of times 
um, I know that I had this thought process when recruiters came to my high school. And, and even when your sister pitched the idea to me when I was in my early 20s, you have got a, um, you know, you guys, uh, Jenna is one of three siblings and all three of them um, are in the military um, or have been at some point. And so, um, you know, they're recruiters in their own right because they've seen what it can do uh, for their life. And um, I just, it's it's so relatable um, the, the way that you share your story and that it, it is possible. It's, it's not easy. And like you said, it sacrifices now, but um, you know, sh short-term pain for, for long-term gain is, is what it sounds like. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and the military thing, as if by accident happened and turned out to be one of the best decisions that I ever could have made with my life. And I encourage young people to at least look into it, at least hear those recruiters out and see what they have to say. It's not for everybody, but it sure gave me that safety net, you know, into my, my late 20s and, and now in my 30s a really outstanding job and so much opportunity and you meet great people and honestly at the end of the day we're all you know American a as if but um, I just really I really enjoy it and really love it wouldn't change it for the for the world yeah it's just just so neat to get to to watch you know and, and you share all that um, you know with us whether it's social media or um, all the different platforms you're on and just being just really open about your journey. And so um, the book, tell us, tell us what you can about what you're working on and, um, and, and then the, the, the podcast as well. So, so this book has been, oh, I've been trying to write this book for almost two years, it seems like, and it's finally really coming together and the end, not necessarily the end, but at least the first manuscript is in sight. So this book, I wanted to be applicable for everyone, not rodeo industry related at all, but peppered with stories of my own personal experiences, which many of them are from the rodeo industry. So the title of it is called Enough. And just to give you a quick rundown, this is my elevator pitch, which I'm still crafting, by the way, but four sections. So four Let's different uses of the word enough. First one is not enough, that universal feeling that we cannot do, be, or have, or achieve enough in this lifetime. Like it's just that feeling of scarcity and of lack. And to some degree, I feel like everybody can relate. Um, the second section is had enough. And I feel like we can all relate to this too. It's that moment where you've reached a threshold, you make a change, you snap, break up with a boyfriend, quit your job, commit, to a new way of life. Like for me, when I was Miss Rodeo Florida, I just lost Miss Rodeo America. I didn't break up with anyone, but I committed to becoming a barrel racer. So it's a mental shift in your focus. Um, and that's the first section of the book. Then we turn to the second section and the third use of the word enough. And that is am enough. And this is when you realize a more mature way of thinking that no matter where you are, you're already enough. You're on your journey. Like relax, settle into, you know, the, the, the whole journey and enjoy it. Um, it's not a race. You can't get it wrong. And by the way, you're never going to get it finished. It's not about the goal. It's about who you are becoming. You are enough already. And then the last and final part is never enough. So once you've realized, you know, your place in this journey, you can never have enough good friends great experiences, books, seminars, ways to feed your brain, like continually strive, progress, progress, progress. So you're never going to finish this thing. It's just, it's lifelong. So that's kind of my spiel for it. I act, it gives me tingles to get to, to say it. And it's so clear now it's come a long ways, still a long way to go. But as a, as an author yourself, you know, you know, the struggle. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. You, you are, you know, that so many steps ahead of me. Um, in the process of being an author and I I just want to buy your book now like you've got me your elevator pitch is there girl it is there um, in physical form yeah I'm just like take my money I'll pay my fees I want the book now um so exciting I can't wait we'll definitely have to do a, a, a sequel to this podcast and um Jenna can you um you know tell us just a few of your you know maybe top you know, cowgirls or women or, you know, just mentors that um, you follow um, so that where you get some inspiration from? 
Super. So a lot of people that I follow, you might already be familiar with. Number one, changed my freaking life, Tony Robbins. Anybody who has heard him speak, I feel like loves him. If you haven't, you need to. Um, probably number two is Lewis Howes. He is great in the influencer space. He interviews so many people across the board that I've never heard of or that I have heard of and just need more of. So he is more of a facilitator in bringing great minds to his podcast. So anybody that goes on there, I, you know, the ones I resonate with, I go off and, and follow them. He puts out so much content. Um, and then another one is Jenna Kutcher. So she is super real. And I strive to be like her in the fact that she shares the strings, shares behind, you know, behind the scenes. And, and it's kind of like us where she's just trying to get like-minded women to share their stories. Not rodeo related at all, but I love her. And then probably the, the other one that I listen to a lot is the Papaya podcast. And that's kind of the same flavor, just bringing great women together and more marketing, branding focused, but definitely stuff that, you know, stimulates my senses, like gets me thinking. And, and when I can get around people like that, I thrive in everything, what I'm writing, what I'm creating, the more you can, you know, get those people in your ears, the better. So much fun. So Jenna, Thank you. Tell everybody where they can find you. Um, I'll put it in the show notes and I, I can't wait to do this again. Sure. Yeah. I love hearing from you guys and I'd love to um, reach out with you and engage anything like social media wise. It's just my name, Jenna Smink, S-M-E-E-N-K, Dutch and Danish. Sounds like an I, I-N-K, Smink. um perfect well jenna i love you girl thank you for all that you do and being my first official guest on the cowgirl confessions podcast that feels good when you say it out loud oh doesn't now thanks for having me you bet you for spending your time with me on the cowgirl confessions podcast i'm so glad y'all stopped by if you could take a moment to share this episode and tag us on social media i'd be happier than a cowgirl and a sea of buy one get one vintage turquoise subscribe to make sure you don't miss an episode new episodes will be released bi-monthly please leave us a review if you feel so led by going to itunes your feedback will really help us breed the idea of grabbing life by the horns with a cowgirl state of mind into women across the globe some that may have never even had the privilege to throw their leg over a horse but could most certainly use the cowgirl state of mind while navigating life thanks again y'all until next time keep pursuing your dreams with that all go and no woe mentality remember You're writing a story that's worth saddling up for, sister.